Welcome to the Bethel Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Chris Valentin. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit iBethel.org. I want to talk to you today about does God know you? Now, I know it's important to know God, but my question today is does God know you? Does Jesus actually know you? And I'd like to use a passage. Why don't you turn to Matthew chapter 7? This is a passage that people often use for us, not positively. Uh, And it's Jesus speaking in verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. And he goes on to say, everyone, therefore everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on a rock. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against the house and yet it did not fall for it was founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the floods came, The winds blew, slammed against the house, and it fell, and great was its fall. Now, um, I want to talk about um, two aspects of this this verse. The first one is Jesus was was said, was telling the story, and he said, in the last days, there'll, there'll be people who come, and they'll say, Lord, didn't we cast out demons? Didn't we perform miracles? Didn't we prophesy in your name? And he said... He says to them, he will say to them, I never knew you. I never knew you. And so we have a lot of emphasis on knowing God. And it's important that we would know God. But has it ever occurred to us that he wants to know us? That he wants to know us. And the the word know there means to come to know, to recognize, to perceive, to understand with certainty, to take notice. And I had this... um, thought this has been going on in me for about a month, I had this thought, um, is it possible that God has the ability to know everything, but that he actually, he actually uses that ability inside the will of man? Well, let me give you an example. In Genesis chapter 18, you can turn there if you'd like, I'm going to read it to you, verse 16, it says, then some, man, then some men rose from, up from there. And they looked down towards Sodom, and Abraham was walking, and Abraham was walking with them to send them off. And the Lord said, shall I, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do, since Abraham shall surely be a great and mighty nation, and in him all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. For I have chosen him so that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring upon Abraham all that he has spoken to him. And the Lord said, the outcry, listen to this, the Lord said, the outcry of Sodom and Gomorrah is indeed great, and their sin is exceedingly grave. I'll go down now and see if they have done entirely according to the outcry which has come to me, and if not, I will know. Now, this is a very interesting verse, and um, I I understand that uh, omnipotence can mean the ability to know anything that one chooses to know 
and can, uh, can be known. Let me read it again. The ability to know anything that one chooses to know and can be known. Or it can mean actually knowing everything that can be known. Now, theologians have argued about this for centuries. Does God know everything? Or does God have the ability to know everything, but reduce what he knows down to maybe the will of man? In this case, this is an interesting verse, and, I, and, I, and I'm, not, I'm not educated enough to actually have an opinion. I'm not, I'm not a theologian. I don't understand the Greek and Hebrew languages in, uh, enough to, to actually make a, a statement. But here's what I want to share with you. Isn't it interesting that God says to Abraham, I'm, I'm on my way down to Sodom, and I've heard, listen to this, he says this, he said, I've, I've heard that there's great wickedness there. And I'm going to go down, and I'm going to check it out, and, then if I'm, and I'm going to see if what I was told was true, and when I get there, I'll know it. Now, isn't that interesting that God goes, has to go down to Sodom to see if what he's heard is actually true? And he says, when I get there, I'll know it. I'll experience it. And I, I, I just want to ask you a question. Is it possible that God that God actually does not violate the will of man in knowing man. In, in uh, John chapter 4, verse 23, Jesus is talking to the woman at the well, and they're having this dialogue, and you know, she's, he's just told her about the fact that you, know, you don't have, you're the person you're with isn't your husband, you've had many husbands, but this one isn't your husband. And she begins to change the subject, and she says, you know, you guys say in this mountain you should worship, and we say, and Jesus says, listen, it's not about where you worship, it's about who you worship. And he begins to tell her that the Father, he seeks worshipers, not in a geographic, he's not looking for worshipers to be in a geographic location, he's actually looking for the heart of worshipers. And he makes this statement, he says, now an hour is coming, in fact it's now, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit, everybody say in spirit, and in truth, everybody saying truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. For God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit. Everybody say spirit. And truth. Everybody say truth. Now, this is interesting, and I, I know there's a, lot, there's a lot of other scriptures about worship in the Bible besides this one. And so I, I, this is not like a blanket statement about worship. But it's, it, the word here for truth, he wants... Jesus said, the Father's looking for worshipers. By the way, he's not looking for worship. He's looking for worshipers who will worship him in spirit, obviously by the Holy Spirit, and in truth. The word truth here isn't the Bible. It's not the Torah. It's not Logos. It's not Rhema. The word truth here means, he want, the word truth means nothing hidden, to be real. In other words, he's saying the Father looks for worshipers who are real. And, and I, I just have this thought that we all know that God planted two trees in the garden. How many of you know that God planted the second tree? God planted the first tree. How many of you know God planted the second tree in the garden? That God planted the tree of, of, of life and, he, and God planted the tree of knowledge and good and evil. God didn't like plant the tree of life and then while he was away, you know, the devil's like, oh, I'll get a tree in here. I'll plant a tree. I'll ruin the world. No, no. God planted both trees. You're like, I'm a rendition of the devil. That's how he talks to me, you know. 
Yeah, my conscience sounds like, oh, yeah, well, and the devil, ah, so that's how I know them apart. God plants two trees in the garden. Why does God plant two trees in the garden? And see, what happens is, is, that, is that the church cuts down the second tree and calls that sanctification. We think we fixed something. And it doesn't occur to us, see, that God wants us to get a reward. Remember, he's coming back and his reward is with him. The only way I can get a reward for doing the right thing is to have the choice to do the wrong one. And the only way... Did you notice that after the, the serpent deceived Adam and Eve, did you notice that God leaves the serpent alive? And do we all agree that the serpent's eventually going to be thrown in the lake of fire? Why doesn't God throw him in the lake of fire in the Garden of Eden? I'll tell you why. Because God wants to be loved. And love requires a choice. Now, what, how, what kind of God would he be if he said, listen, I want you... To have a choice to love me. By the way, I'm the only God there is. Here's your choice, me. <laughs> no, he leaves the devil alive so that you would have a choice. It's, it's kind of like you can go to a restaurant and you go, and, and they say, what would you like to eat? You say, what are my choices? And they go, chicken. <laughs> and, and you go, and, and they go, just chicken. That's not a choice. You can't love chicken when all you have is, anyway, that didn't work, but you get the idea. <laughs> I, I realized it right away that was going way down the wrong road there, it's a chicken, the chicken example. But you get the point. The point is, is that love requires a choice. If God takes away our choices, if God, see, he could have programmed you to love him. No, no, he could have programmed you to favor him. He can't program you to love him because love requires your free will. And, the, and, the, the, and free will means that you have a choice to make. If God chooses, if God, if God allows you to choose, then that means you can choose to not serve him. Are, are you following me? When, when Adam and Eve fell... It says, before they fell, it says they were naked in the garden and unashamed. I'd like to propose to you that we need to get naked again. I'm not naked. <laughs> you know. And, and it says that when they, when they, when they ate the fruit, that, that God shows up in the cool of the day, and he says, and, he's, and Adam and Eve aren't there, and he says, Adam, where are you? Now, you know you're lost when God can't find you. But I'd like to suggest that God is not saying, Adam, where are you? Like, he's not asking Adam where he is geographically. I don't think God is like, Adam, where are you? Like, I can't find you. Wow, I know everything, but I can't find you. I don't think God is asking Adam where he is geographically. I think he's asking Adam, where are you? Where are you in your heart? He's trying to know Adam. And Adam comes out with a fig leaf. He's, he is hiding behind creation. Selah. No, don't say, never mind. It means stop and think about it. Now, we all know that God honors free will to the point that you can choose hell. 
People say all the time, well, I don't believe in a God who would send people to hell. Are you kidding me? God didn't send people to hell. God didn't even create hell for people. He created hell for, for angels, fallen angels. And God, and God said, over my dead body, will you go to hell? In fact, in the book of Revelation, it says that when you were born, he wrote your name in the book of life. And the only way to get out of being alive, the, uh, eternal life, the only way to get out of eternal life is to, for your name to be blotted out. Because it was written in. In other words, God never intended you to not go to heaven. He wrote everyone's name in the book of life. And you have to, listen, you can believe your way into heaven or work your way to hell. But God never sent you to hell. He said, listen, you have to step over me. But some people do. What's my point? My point is, is that God honors free will to the place that you can actually will yourself to heaven even though he, he, he paid for you to go to... No, you can will yourself to heaven. That's true. That's awesome. You can will yourself to heaven, but you can also will yourself to hell even though he paid for you to go to heaven. He will allow your will to override his will because he said, I will that you all be saved. Is it possible that not only does he, uh, th does he honor your will to go to heaven, but is it possible that he honors your will to let him know you? In other words, that he doesn't force his all-knowingness on you. That he doesn't say, listen, I will know you. And that's why he said, listen, didn't we do miracles? Didn't we, do, didn't we cast out demons? Didn't we prophesy? And he said, I never knew you. Is it that God's, is, are we saying, that there's things God doesn't know? No, there's things that God allows his, God sometimes relegates his knowingness to the will of people. <laughs> you can keep God from knowing you if you want to. Well, God knows everything. No, God has the ability to know everything. But sometimes, if you say, I don't want you to know me, God says, okay, I never knew you. There's something powerful about love. There's something powerful about being real with God. There's something powerful about being transparent. There's something powerful about living with nothing hidden. There's something powerful about inviting God into your life and loving God on this level of where you're not just doing what you're doing because you have to, you're, you're doing this because you want to. Years ago, many years ago, I went to a church and I, I like watches. I, I have about 50 of them. <laughs> it's a problem, I understand, it's, I'm working on it. <laughs> I, I bought only like four or five and people tend to give them to me. By the way, don't give me any watches, it'll just feed my dysfunction I'm trying to work on. And I went to this, um, this church, this little church in, a, in another country, and, um, and this man had a really beautiful watch on, which, you know, you tend to see what you're prepared to see. And I like watches, so I'm like, oh, that's pretty cool. So he's standing next to me in, in worship, and I said, hey, that's a cool watch. He said, yeah, someone gave it to me. And I'm like, oh, that's really cool. He said, you want to see it? Took it off. I looked at it. Oh, that's a really beautiful watch. So I handed it back to him, and he said, yeah, this watch is worth $17,000. I said, oh, $17,000. Wow, you could almost buy a car for that, you know? So, um, so we, we were just worshiping, and 
again, you know, a, a, a pretty small congregation. And during worship, he leans over and he said, do you want me to give you this watch? No, first he goes, do you like this watch? I said, oh yeah, it's really nice. He said, do you want me to give you this watch? I said, do you want to give it to me? He said, no. Which I really appreciated. He was being real. No, I actually don't want to give you this watch. I said, oh, then I don't, I don't want it. He said, okay. So he finished worship and, and he introduced me and I got up and preached. And when I got done preaching, we were standing in, in the front of the church just praying for some people, him and I and some, other, and some of the team. And, and uh, just while we were ministering to people, we, there was a break in between a couple people and he said, do you, do you like this watch? I said, I really do. I think it's a really beautiful watch. He goes, do you want it? I said, do you want to give it to me? He said, no. <laughs> Emphatically, like, no. I said, oh, then I don't want it. I mean, you, you know, I really don't want it. Like, first of all, I don't need another one. But, and I realize I have issues. But I actually don't want something that someone doesn't want to give me. I, I'm sure you'd feel the same way. Like, especially somebody who's poor, you know? I mean, this is the, his prized possession. And, you know, if he was wealthy, I'm like, give me that watch. <laughs> you can buy yourself another one. Give me that watch. <laughs> of course, I'm joking. You know, who wants something that someone doesn't want to give you? So, so um, we finished praying for people. We gather up all our stuff. And he's driving us to the airport. And I'm sitting in the front seat, and it's really quiet to the airport. And, you know, I'm like, oh, it feels really uncomfortable in here. I don't, I've actually never met him before this, you know. So we're driving to the airport, and it's like half an hour drive. And about five minutes before we get to the airport, he turns to me, and he goes, do you want this watch? Do you like this watch? I said, oh, it's a beautiful watch. Do you want it? I said, well, do you want to give it to me? He said, no, I really don't. Then I said, so, so I leaned over like this, like, then I really don't want it. He said, oh, okay. So we get to the airport and we're unloading the luggage and we're just about ready, and we're saying goodbye and I give him a hug and he says to me, do you want this watch? I said, do you like it? I said, I like it. He says, do you want it? I said, I said, do you want to give it to me? He said, I really don't want to give it to you. I said, I really don't want it then. He said, he takes it off, he hands it to me, he said, God told me I had to give you this watch. He said, God said, I have to give you this watch. I'm like, you know, I, and you know, it's really weird. I don't know if you know, like, first of all, I don't have, you know, a day to process with him. I'm getting on the plane. So I, I'm thinking like, okay, I really don't want a watch he doesn't want. That's one side of it. The other side of it, if God told him to give it to me, I don't want to rob him from what he's supposed to do, right? So I'm in this weird position, like, well, this is, feels really weird. And I know, like, this, is the, this guy's poor, so he's giving away something that's very expensive. So I'm like, so, so he hands me the watch, and he's got, like, tears in his eyes. <laughs> I'm like, and he goes, I can't keep this watch. God told me to give it to you. I'm like, okay, thank you. Now... I don't know. Well, I mean, what do you say? Thank you. All I could think of was, thank you. And I drove away and he was like, <laughs> I'm like, you know, no, that, that really, that, that's, that really happened, but that's not really true. You know, I, I was thinking about, you know, people come and they, 
This happens a lot to probably all of us, and they'll, they'll come and they'll give me a gift, and they'll say, you know, God told me to give you this gift. And really, it's nice. I love it. Thank you. Thank you, God, you know? But the truth is, is I'm really confident in God's love for me. I don't know about you. And so there's a difference between doing something out of obedience and doing something because you actually, it's in your heart to love somebody. So I had the watch for many years, and I'd show people, I see this watch, worth $17,000. <laughs> First thing, I want to write it right on there because I don't have anything expensive myself, you know. That's my favorite watch. Well, it stopped last year after I've had it like four or five years. Stopped last year, so I sent it to, uh, took it over to the watch, our watch guy, and he took it all apart and said, oh, this, this has to go to TAG. This is an expensive watch, and we don't work on them. I sent it to TAG. A month later, they sent me the watch back. I insured it for <laughs> a few thousand dollars. I get the watch back. About a week after I sent it to them, they said, this is a fake replica watch. It's worth about $25. We don't work on them. I'm like... <laughs> and I thought, this is a prophetic act. When you do something out of obedience, it's not worth much. It's a replica. It looks like the real thing, but love, when you give out of love, that's a totally different thing. Are you with me? See, there's something about a real relationship with God. You know, we can, we, we, it's like God wants to know you. Like he wants, of course he wants you to know him, but he actually wants to know you. And I believe that God's relegated his all-knowingness down to your will to allow him to know you. And I was thinking about like King David and some of the Psalms. Have you ever read the Psalms? Like, I think that God just wants you to be real. He wants us to be real. He's like, he doesn't want plastic people. He's like, how do you really feel? God, I really don't want to give this away. I love that guy. He's, he probably got, you know, hopefully he got like 30 fold for $17,000 watch. It's worth nothing. I hope he did. But listen, listen to David's prayer, Psalms 10. Why do you stand afar, O Lord? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? In pride, the wicked hotly pursue the afflicted, uh, the afflicted, and they let them be caught in the plots which they have devised. For the wicked boasts, and his, heart is, his heart's desire, and the greedy man curses and spurns. The wicked man in his haughtiness is, and his countenance does not seek him. And all his thoughts are, there is no God, and he prospers in his ways, and he's, and he's become my adversary, and he, he will not be moved. And he goes on for, for 11 verses to tell God, I don't get what's going on here. I'm having a, listen, I have a struggle with you. Where are you? What, what, what's, what's happening? Listen, look at the opening verse. Why do you stand off afar and hide yourself when I'm in trouble? And wicked people prosper. And they, and, they, and they destroy the people who, who, who are, are weak. And, and they're doing wicked stuff. And they're doing it to me. And you're not doing anything about it. I don't have a problem with that. This is the guy who's the man after God's heart. The man after God's heart says to God, this is how I'm feeling. Now, this, this, is, not, this is not necessarily reality. I don't think... David's like thinking, hey, I'm writing a theological point here. 
I'm making a theological point. People are going to read thousands of years from now, and they're going to create a theology out of it. I think David's going, this is how I feel. I don't know if this is real. It feels like you're far off. It feels like you're far away. And it feels like my, that I'm having problems. And it feels like you don't even care. This is how I feel. Now, he fixes it in the next chapter. He's like, you're amazing. I worshiped you. Oh, you, you kill my adversaries. You destroy them. No one can touch me. I'm so untouched. I sought the Lord. He answered me, delivered me from all my fears. I looked at him. I was ready. I know. I get that. But my point is, is that David has a real relationship with God. He's telling God, you want to know me? Whoa. And I think that lots of Christians get caught in this pattern where we're telling God what we think he wants to hear. We have this relationship with God. We're telling God what he wants to hear instead of how we really feel. And I think God's saying, I don't know you. You're doing miracles? I don't have any idea who you are. Adam, where are you? Not where do you live, where is your location, where are you? Where's your heart? In Matthew 6, 5, you know these verses, Jesus says, when you pray, you're not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. Truly I say, they have their reward in full. But you, when you pray, go in the inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who sees in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask. And then we have the Lord's Prayer. Pray then in this way, our Father who's in heaven. For the sake of time, I'm I'm not going to read the whole prayer. but I love this. Jesus talks to us about what it is to pray. You know, pray, praying is just us being real with God and God being real with us. There's something about, he says, listen, when you, when you pray, don't, don't be like the hypocrites and the Gentiles. Listen, don't pray eloquent prayers to impress people. Just talk to God. And secondly, he says, don't use meaningless repetition. I can't tell you how many prayer meetings I've been in, but people just say the same thing over and over. You, 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 know, you know, when you're, repeat, when you're repeating yourself, you're not being powerful, you're being, you're being annoying. Oh, Jesus, bless this man. Jesus, bless this man. Bless this man, Jesus. Oh, Jesus, would you bless this man? Holy Spirit, come and bless this man. Oh, Father, bless this man. Holy Spirit, did we say him already? Holy Spirit, Jesus, bless. Holy Spirit, come. And the prayer means 40 minutes of people reciting the same prayer. And I'm like, what are you doing? It's not how long you pray, but who hears that counts? There's something about prayer that this needs to be like you open yourself up and go God this is what this is what uh, this is what I'm thinking and he goes listen I know what you need before you ask and then he goes on to say so ask pray this now our father give us this day our daily bread the father knows I need bread but he tells me to ask for bread why don't I ask him for bread that he knows I need because he wants to get to know me He's not concerned about bread. He's concerned about heart. (laughs) 
I want to tell you 10 things to remember when you're talking to God. This will be quick. First one, be real. Don't tell God what you think he wants to hear. Tell God what you, what's really on your heart. Number two, be honoring. God might be your best friend, but he remains the creator of the universe. Hello. Number three, be respectful. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Number four, be ready to listen. Prayer is a reciprocal exchange of ideas with God. When you're honest with God, be prepared for him to be honest with you. I love this guy, Job. I actually don't read the book of Job because I already got a job. <laughs> but I, actually, I, I don't read the book of Job too much, but, but, but I love Job. And Job, for 37 chapters, Job, he's got his friends telling him, Job, you screwed up, you messed up, you really did something terrible. And Job's defending himself. Like, I don't know what I did wrong. I don't know what's God. What's the problem with God? Like, I'm so righteous. I'm so holy. All I do is serve him. And look, what did that happen to me? And he goes on, and he's just like questioning, how in the world could God let this happen to him? And he's, and he's talking to, directly to God and to his friends at times. And finally, in, in the 38th chapter, God says to Job, then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, how is it that darkness counseled by words, oh, oh, I'm sorry, who is it that darkness counsels by words without knowledge? Now gird up your loins like a man, and I will ask you, and you will instruct me. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me, if you understand. Who sets its measurements, since you know who stretched out the line on it? And what were its bases? And what were its bases? What were the what were the foundation of its bases? And who lays its cornerstones? And who set up the morning star and sang together the sons and the sons who shouted? And who enclosed the sea with its doors bursting forth and went out from the womb when I made the cloud and its garment and thick darkness, its swarming band, and I placed boundaries on it and I set the bolt of the doors and I said, thus far you shall come and no further. And he goes on like that and he goes on to say, and who made it rain and he, who made the sun and who made the depths of the sea? And he goes on like that and here's what he's saying to Job. Job's saying for 37 chapters, you know, I don't get this. You know, I don't understand how you let this happen to me. You know, I just, I'm so righteous. I'm so perfect. And you know, I, what's the problem here? And finally, God's silent for 38 chapters, 37 chapters. And finally, Job, God says to Job, stand here and talk to me like a man. You think you know everything? Okay, okay. Who made the earth? Who made it rain? Do you know how to make it rain, Job? Can you make it rain? Listen, who are you to counsel me, Job? You don't know anything. Do you know how I made the water? Like how I made the sea? How I set its boundaries? How I laid its foundation? Do you understand, that, do you understand how things happen in the world? Do you know how, how I made people joyful? And how, you know, do you, what do you know, Job? Who are you to talk to me like this? And I love it because when we talk to God and we're honest with God, God goes, okay, be ready. Stand there like a man because I'm about to tell you what I'm thinking. <laughs> See, when you tell God what you're thinking, then he feels the freedom to tell you what he's thinking. A lot of people are like, I'd love to have a relationship with God. And, and, and then we come to prayer and it's a list. Bless my mother. Bless my father. Bless my, my brothers. My uncle. My aunt. Amen. End of prayer. I brought my list. I told, no, no, that's not prayer. God's all, I never knew you. What are you thinking? 
Well, <laughs> I don't know if you want to know what I'm really thinking. I really want to know what you're thinking. Well, this is what I'm thinking, and I'm thinking it might be your fault. And God goes, stand here like a man. Let's have a heart to heart. How can you think it's my fault when you don't even understand how anything happened? Do you know how anything happened? Can you, Job, Job, stay here with me, buddy. Can you speak and it, make, and it rains? No, but I can. Do you know how I created water? Job, how in the world could you possibly process through your little brain that this is my fault when you don't even know how to make it rain? And God begins to talk to us, and we have this exchange with God, and out of it comes this amazing revelation. You know why? Because we said, God, come in and talk to me. Come in and know me. Number seven, don't pray to impress your friends. It's not how long you pray but, or how eloquent you sound. It's who answers that matters. It's just as important to tell God how you feel as it is to ask him what you need. Number nine, if you talk to God when you have a crisis, oh, start over. If you talk to God only when you have a crisis, he loves you enough to let you stay in one. Selah. Number 10, talk to God about your daily needs. He knows what you need before you ask, but he enjoys your requests. I just want to finish with this thought. You know, um, a lot of us, including Paul and I, we do leaders' advances. We do leaders' stuff. We'll do a training, an all-day training. We'll teach for two or three hours, and then we'll have questions and answers. Inevitably, there'll be 100 pastors in the room, 100 leaders in the room, and we'll, we'll teach stuff. And some of it should be new. And we'll say, who has, who has a question? For the first 10 minutes, nobody will raise their hand. Almost always. Nobody. As if we were all born with all knowledge. And I look around and I say this almost every time. I say, you know, what's the, the crazy thing is, is you guys are supposed to be leaders and you're afraid to acknowledge to other people that there's stuff you don't know. So you don't want to raise your hand because you don't want anybody to know that you don't actually know the answer to the question you have. And I don't know how you live in fear and have a relationship with anybody because you're not even willing to be transparent among a hundred men that you spent three days with that you actually don't know the answer to something. And I don't know why, but to me, and then of course everyone raised their hand, oh, I got a question, me too, I got a question. It seems like that so mirrors our relationship with God. I don't know what it is about prayer sometimes, but instead of coming to God and going, I got some issues, I'm really hurting. I don't know if this is my fault. I assume it's not your fault because, you know, I saw Job. You and, I had, you and him had a conversation, so I'm like assuming it's probably not your fault. But here's the truth. It doesn't feel like my fault. I feel like I did everything right, but things are going wrong, and I'm really confused, and I don't actually like this, and I don't actually know why you haven't intervened, and, 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 and I'm really coming with a humble heart saying, I actually don't know why you didn't intervene, and I, I'm having an honest conversation with God, and I'm saying, 
I'm, I'm letting you use your all-knowingness now. I'm opening my heart and I'm saying, use your all-knowingness in me. <laughs> know my heart. David said it this way, know my heart and search my, my ways. If you see anything wicked in there, huh, go ahead and take it out. I just realized that God actually needs permission to do that because he relegates his all-knowingness to my will when it comes to my life. And God goes, I would love to know you, but I'm waiting for you to invite me in so I can see what's happening inside of you. And I'd like to suggest to you that most of us are starving for God to know us, and we're also terrified of what he's going to see when he gets inside. But what I love about God, and he's the only person who does this, is that when God, when God sees something in me and he corrects me, let's say he sees impatience in me. When God says, Chris, I need you to be patient. At the moment he says, be patient, he creates. God doesn't just counsel. When God counsels, he creates. He releases the ability to do what I couldn't do one second before he talked to me because God can't talk without creating. And the challenge is, is that we're afraid that God's going to see something deficient in us. And so we're like, okay, I'll show you this part. And God goes, you know what? If you would open up your heart and will for me to know you, the things you are afraid of, the things that bother you, the things that, the, the things that, frankly, the things that trouble you, that you try to hide behind creation, you try to hide behind good works and things you do, you try to hide behind these things. And I'm like, if you'll just, if you'll just open your heart and let me speak into it, even the things that you see in there that you don't like, and you don't think I like either. If you let me speak to those things, I will take chaos. The earth, the earth was formless and void. The word's chaos. I will take chaos and I will say, let there be light. And guess what will happen in your heart? I will separate the light from the darkness. And the things that you fear that I'll find, I'll actually recreate in you. And you won't struggle with sin because you allowed me to come in, and wherever I go, holiness follows. Would you stand, please? I want to challenge you today. You ready? Here's my challenge. It's homework. I want you to stand man to man, or if you're a female, woman to man, or maybe woman to woman. Anyway. Stand before God. <laughs> well, I don't believe God's a man. I believe he's both male and female. Because when he created man in his image, he made him both male and female. So I think it takes a male and a female to actually represent the God that we know. But my point is this. I think God's inviting us into this place. Are you following me now? Now what I'm saying is not a teaching. Now I'm trying to give you a prophetic declaration. I believe that this is not just a teaching. I believe God is saying, I, would, I see your miracles, I see your prophecies, I, 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 see, I see all these things. I long to know you better. Come and stand before me, man to man, woman to woman, you get the idea. Come and stand before me and talk to me about what's going on in there so I can know, because I relegated my, my all-knowingness to your will. If you will will to allow me, if you will allow me in, I will come in and look around. 
I knock at the door and I'm waiting for you to open the door and let me in deeper and what you fear will be recreated. And so Lord, I just pray right now for courage and I pray for wisdom and I pray for the longings that we have for God to actually know me. I pray for those for that longing to lead me to a place of opening up my heart and allowing God to see everything that's in there and to separate the light from the darkness and to, and, and to create something beautiful out of chaos. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. This podcast is now being translated into several different languages. For more information, visit podcasts.ibethel.org.